News. 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 New York City. FAQ NYC podcast getting more and more interesting by the minute. FAQ. It's FAQ NYC, the New Yorkers podcast from the newsroom by and for New Yorkers. The city. I'm Harry Siegel, here with Professor Christina Greer and Katie Onan. Hello's. Hello. Hi. We got lots to discuss ahead of Mayor Eric Adams delivering his State of the City on Thursday in Queens. But first, here's just some of the news from another jam-packed week in New York. Let's jump right in. Republican congressman and serial liar George Santos claimed in 2021, with echoes of Trump, that he was mugged in broad daylight on Fifth Avenue and also had his home vandalized because, quote, we were a Republican Party in Florida. All right. Who knows what will happen between now and the publishing of this podcast within George Santos land. Anyway, a new poll shows the governor, Kathy Hochul, is as popular as she's been at any point taking office and with strong support of many of the items in her state of the state agenda, including a pledge not to raise taxes. That news comes a little late for her following the state Senate Judiciary Committee's unprecedented rejection of her pick to be the state's top judge, Hector LaSalle. The question now is if the governor will take the L or follow through on her threat to sue lawmakers and rope the courts into this separation of powers fight to try to force a floor vote that Majority Leader Andrea Stewart-Cousins, a fellow Democrat who clearly hasn't been bluffing to this point, says the governor's pick would also lose. Back down in the city, the increasingly potent panel for educational policy pulled the co-locations of three success academy charter schools from its agenda in a move applauded by UFT President Michael Mulgrew, as the long-simmering fight between charters and traditional public schools heats up again in the city. Eric Adams is emphatically standing by his plan to house migrants at a cruise ship terminal in Brooklyn, in addition to hotels in Manhattan, saying that we're in a crisis with a separate shelter system overwhelmed by new arrivals and criticizing advocates and other politicians for calling out concerns with his plans rather than pushing Washington to deliver more aid to the city. Finally, Adams on Monday rolled out a new initiative to communicate directly to New Yorkers. It's a quote, which is a fancy way of saying a newsletter. At a press conference later that day, the mayor explained, quote, I need direct-to-consumer marketing. I need to speak directly to my consumer in my voice. And he went on uh, talking about the press. At a press conference, he convened. Uh, to object about how unfair the press has been to him, uh, noting that they'd be talking about his newsletter instead of the 75 million small business loan program backed by big businesses that he was there to announce. Quote, imagine me depending on you to tell that story. I'm now at your mercy. If Colgate was at the mercy of the tabloids, they would go out of business. So I am the Colgate. I can't go out of business. So I, <laughs> 1967, four years before he moved to New York City, John Lennon said, I am the walrus. <laughs> 55 years later, the mayor who has lived here his whole life says, I am the Colgate. Uh, Adams also commented that there was a day, I'm quoting again, when you would have a columnist and reporters. Columnists would give their opinions. Reporters would just report the news. Now, I don't know who's the columnist and who's the reporter. So given that, who better to deliver the news about Eric Adams, says Eric Adams, than Eric Adams. So, Christina, I really want to hear your thoughts on the Maris press critic, uh, not yesterday, but previously. He's also talked about uh, how this press corps is altogether too white to be covering this city and, and its second black mayor. Uh, before we get there, Katie, you are a reporter. 
Yes. What do you think of Adam's plan to go around the press and speak directly to the people, or at least those of them who sign up for his newsletter? You know, I think he can do whatever he wants, right? Obviously. And we already have versions of this within the city, uh, the city of New York, not all cap city where I work. We have community, the CAU newsletters, you have Instagram accounts, you have a whole media unit. You know, Bill de Blasio got criticized for this as well. I, I believe right before COVID, uh, First Lady Shirley McRae was doing like a podcast series. Um, but I, I hope someone from the administration is listening because I think the mayor should fully lean into this, I'm starting a Substack type of thing create a logo like i was joking like you know how the new york post used to have alexander hamilton like it should be like the eric adams tribune with his little thumbs up face his face and a thumbs up you know don't just kind of half-ass this newsletter if you really want to replace the press i want there to be a full commitment to um you know the branding of it i hope that maybe he does launch a podcast but yeah again he has a version of this he's also fair to criticize the press. Um, I don't think all of his criticisms of the press are fair, but at the end of the day, we are a predominantly white um, press corps. And he has the right, as anyone to say, and, and and a lot of maybe some of his criticisms are true in terms of how he's getting covered and what people's understanding of him are. And, you know, we all come to this job with life experiences and our own personal experiences. And, you know, he's felt that he has not gotten a fair shake because of it. So... I just think it's, I mean, I I hope he goes full into it. That's what I hope it is. I, I hope it is, you know, the 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 link is, I think, nyc.gov backslash here from Eric, which I find very funny. Um, the thing that cracks me up is Eric Adams is dominating the agenda because he's the mayor and he's powerful because he's actually great at controlling a microphone and yeah. getting word out about things he wants to. Uh, not on this podcast for an, a number of reasons. I think lengthier questions can be tricky. He's really great at like three minute interviews where he can punch his points home. Um, but it, it's not that there's been a lack of coverage of Adams and his uh, many rivers of rhetoric, the many things he's announcing. Um, I think he's frustrated with, with how the press is interpreting those, what they consider front page news and those parts as, as mayors often are. But being the front person is very different, of course, than being the publisher. And so every mayor does try to do this now and every executive, like, let me just get my message directly out. But it's easier said than done. And there are reasons people want even not fully trusted intermediaries rather than, than getting news about a newsmaker from that uh, from that newsmaker. Christina, do you want to jump in? Yeah. I mean, just following up on what Katie said, you know, I think there are two things can be true at the same time. On the one hand, I do think that there are certain elements of our press corps that are very young, very white, and do not understand New York City. I think a lot of folks live in the same exact neighborhood in Brooklyn, and it's a lot of groupthink, and it can be highly problematic in a lot of ways. That that could be true, and I think the, the mayor can be frustrated by it. But that also means that, you know, just because the press corps can be young and homogenous and live in the same neighborhood and, you know, not fully understand race or racism, that doesn't mean that some of the critiques are invalid. I think that the press corps, you know, as someone who is not part of the press, but does spend time talking to a lot of members of the press on and off the record, I think the commonality between the press and the mayor is that all of them love the city and want to actually figure out how to do it do right by the citizens of New York. So 
I think sometimes the mayor's ego gets in the way because he doesn't like what's written. It's like, well, sometimes facts are facts. Like, you are choosing to put more money in the NYPD and less money in the New York Public Library. That's not a slight against you. That's not a racist remark. Those are facts. You are choosing to, you know, let the trans unit in Rikers kind of be disbanded and you're not protecting all New Yorkers, especially the LGBTQ plus community that you said you would protect. That's not, you know, the press corps being racist because you're the second black mayor. That's reporting on a fact that like folks under your watch who work for you aren't protecting all New Yorkers. That's just the reality of it. So I think it would behoove the mayor, who won't come on the podcast, therefore Harry's going to have to buy me dinner, but it would behoove the mayor to sort of (laughs) spend a little more time dissecting the real critiques and actually digesting them. And we can, I feel like, him doing the work, there are going to be people who will never get race and racism in the press corps. And it's frustrating. And, you know, I'm not saying, oh, just deal with it. But I think that there are ways that he can call out the press corps that are a lot more productive and seem more realistic because it seems like he calls out the press corps when they're disagreeing with a policy point. And it's like, you guys are young and racist and you don't get it. And it's like, right. But if they're writing nothing but great stories, you're not calling them out in the same way. And so, I know that it's very hard being a Black executive. I, listen, from my little job, I know that there's a lack of, I'm associate chair, like I know that there's a lack of respect that some white people just cannot give a Black person in charge, subconsciously or consciously. So I know that for Mayor Adams, it's magnified on a scale of, you know, 10,000 compared to the nonsense that I have to deal with, with like white subordinates, if you will. So I get that. And I think he's definitely... He gets frustrated by, you know, like, basically, who are these punk kids from from White Fort Green telling me how to do my job? Like, I think that that, you know, not saying that I'm in his head, but like, that's the feeling I get. Let's just put it this way, is my political analysis hat on. Um, But I think that there are ways that he can have a clearer view as to why it is people would be upset and frustrated at some of these policies. And I know that a lot of the people who are the loudest critics are the ones who didn't vote for him. So he's sort of like, get in where you fit in. Because like, yes, I work for everybody. But like, at the end of the day, you're not voting for me anyway. You didn't vote for me. So why am I going to sit here and try and cater to your whims? And part of it, I do think, is like a slight disdain because a lot of the critics are just used to getting what they want all the time. So this is like the first time that a lot of voting New Yorkers, mind you now, we have such an abysmal voting population in mayor elections. I think it's the first time that a lot of New York City voters didn't get what they wanted and they're a touch apoplectic about it. So two two things to that. Up this presser, Eric Adams was talking about both uh, shoplifting arrests a chain pharmacies and surreal robbers there, and also about his mentally ill policy. And uh, he said, like, like, it's crazy to me, paraphrasing here, that uh, people need to raise their voice because sometimes they give the impression, now I'm quoting, that Eric is the only one who feels this way. When the average New Yorker tells me, you're dead right, Eric. And on the other end of the spectrum, you have those saying, Oh, you're being cool because you're not allowing someone to sleep inside the ATM lobby, although they're waiting for the spaceship to come pick them up and they're hooked on drugs. Why are you being so cruel, Eric? Uh, That's how people are going to give this impression, especially when the story is covered by the reporter. 
who's the columnist? People don't want to walk into their ATM and see someone urinating, see someone screaming and yelling, et cetera. Um, a slightly different way of saying that is that some of the policies Eric Adams is proceeding with, uh, for instance, sweeping homeless encampments, trying to get severely mentally ill people off the street that have been treated with a fair amount of, uh, I'd say, suspicion and hostility in, in headlines in the press are, are actually pretty popular. You could do the Herks as well, where the mayor and, uh, uh, you know, OEM Commissioner Zach Iskall and others have to figure out something to do with people before they arrive and under the presumption that more people may be arriving. And then almost all the coverage is how much is this going to cost? This plan is crazy. What are you doing? And some of this is from advocates and other politicians. So Brad Lander and Jumani Williams. Um, and he pushed back. He said, how come they're not asking Washington to help? And then they asked Washington to help, which was an indicator of that with the Coalition for the Homeless, right, and legal aid. Um, we keep talking about the the legal right to shelter. He keeps saying, you know, what what's their plan? What are they doing? And similarly with the press corps. So I think he's trying to set himself up as the doer, the person who gets stuff done, and the person who is aware of what New Yorkers want and then is frustrated to see waves of suspicious coverage and christina i'm sorry to go on uh, the thing i wanted to ask there is my head is slowly getting there is there were two big articles in the last week there was one in the new yorker the fraudster mentored by uh, new york's mayor about pastor gomar whitehead um and sort of going over all the ways in which he's traded on adam's name that makes a point of saying up top like the mayor likes to preemptively critique critics as racist he gets asked about this story after it comes out it's like six thousand words it's very detailed it goes into all the ways whitehead has tried to profit off the mayor's name it was written by a white guy uh, for this pretty white publication and adam says look no one's pointed to an actual crime I, I i take care of people i can see some myself in who've been through difficult times and come back i'm not answering any questions about this right after that the new york post ends up with an article about uh uh about another friend of adams this guy william benson who had like what seems to have been a phony champagne company called mm -hmm. billionaires row shows up in all sorts of pictures puts like stuff with him and adams up on instagram uh right and you've got like a, a woman who's engaged to him and a bunch of other people being like this guy kept saying he was close with the mayor and kept extracting money from me no one's saying adams is getting any of this money None of these hits have cleanly landed in a way that seems to have affected his popularity or anything else. And of course, he's not the first mayor to have friends who want to make money and get in on things. Um, but I, I just like your view on whether he, he has uh, some fair critique of this, if the press is right to keep looking into these matters and taking these swings, especially if they're not necessarily entirely landing them. Mm -hmm. If it matters, if things look terrible, if there's not criminality, like, like what the bar is and should be and how you think Adam sees that. Yeah, I think all things can be true at the same time. Because, like, let's be clear, you know, you talk to other kind of <laughs> black journalists on the low, black politicos, we all know de Blasio would have been under the jail if he were black, okay? All of his shady friends and dealings would have been on the front page of the paper all day, every day, and there's no way he would have gotten a second term. He might be, you know, kicked out of his first term. Like, his real estate folks, like, nothing made sense. But, like, people sort of looked, and they were like, well, we didn't find anything, and that's fine. Hey, listen, the law is the law. But we also know that it plays out very differently for white electeds than it does for black electeds, especially white executives. So, like, yes, that's true. So, but every single black person in a particular point in their life and career knows you can't do what white people do. So Eric Adams, you know that. That's how you got to be an elected official and Brooklyn Borough president. And you have avoided 
prison thus far, right? Even though you believe in hanging out with people with convicted records and you believe in giving people a second chance, and that's fine. But just know he knows this. He's not going to be held to the same standard. And so I'm sure some listeners are going to be like, what do you mean? Like, everything's fair. It's not. He's black. He's got black skin. He's a black man. He's the second black elected. He knows it. I know it. And anybody who's lived in America for more than five minutes should know it if they were paying attention. So all that you've laid out is true. So it's like you keep kind of poking the bear with some of these relationships and you know that people are going to try and trade on your name. Everyone does it when you're friends with someone who's powerful. Lots of people did it with de Blasio. So that's just this, that's just reality. I don't understand why Eric Adams is putting himself in potential harm. I'm not saying that he's doing something wrong per se, but he's definitely leaning on the line such that it makes journalists want to look more. And especially when you have an antagonistic relationship with journalists, are, do you really think that they're going to be like, oh, wow, that this guy is really shady, you know, friend of the mayor. Let's just leave this story alone after he just called us, you know, racist and don't know how to do our jobs. Or do you think that they're going to start digging and digging, right? And I, you know, I said this before when we had the conversation about Eric Adams being portrayed on Saturday Night Live, which I thought was really problematic because, of course, they like hypersexualized him as Saturday Night Live does with every single Black person, man or woman. Um, but, you know, again, it just seems like Eric Adams, you know that press, you know that the powerful New Yorkers who didn't vote for you, who don't want you in office, are gunning for you. So, like, hanging out at 2, 3 in the morning... Not saying that you can't hang out and have a life, but like you do know it's going to be more of a story than if anybody else did it, right? So as my dad says, you know, when I wanted to extend my curfew, <laughs> like I told you this before, you know, and I was like, I want my curfew to be after midnight when I was 16. He was like, the only thing open after midnight is legs. Like, no, go on. <laughs> you are too young to be out in these streets. So it's like, well, the Eric bars Adams. are also open after midnight. Right, sure but not, not in my podunk town, right? <laughs> and I wasn't 21, so he's like, bring it home. Um, but, you know, the mayor likes to hang out. Sure, you are a single man, asterisk. Like, you can you can do whatever you want. No, he's we- not single, though. He- <laughs> <laughs> unmarried. Uh, he's unmarried. Unmarried. <laughs> unmarried, right. Listen, every relationship is different. I'm not judging. So, but I, I do think that, you know, you put yourself in more of a a precarious position when you're out at a club, people are drinking. All it's going to take is for one person to say, the mayor grazed me and I felt, I felt uncomfortable. And then you're done. You're done because people already want you to be done. So like, this is the piece, Harry, that I think I don't fully understand about the mayor because even though I disagree with him, he's not stupid. I think a lot yeah. of, and this is, this is where I think young white press folks in speaking to them. They love to throw around like, he's dumb. He's not dumb. He's far from dumb. You may disagree with him on policy, but that's where you mess up because Eric Adams stays winning on a lot of levels. So it's like, he's not stupid, but I don't understand why he's being, I would say, a little lackadaisical and potentially careless in other facets of his mayoralty. He keeps winning. He's been a public figure for going on 40 years. And he's been in all sorts of interesting and complicated 
positions and tight jams and he's had like the nypd brass very eager to throw him out and take his pension he went to pick up mike tyson when he finished serving off duty uh adams his his rape sentence uh, you know he, he is somebody who has figured out how to maintain a place on the public stage and stay at least a step or two ahead and katie part of that uh which is which is pretty new and striking to me is he has been running for a second term Already. And by that, I mean, not that he isn't mm-hmm. governing, uh, but he has raised like, I think, one point three million dollars already. Yeah. Um, about half of that has come from out of state. A bunch of it came from developers. Uh, but it, it, it's a really big total. And, you know, it helps armor him as somebody who's, who's witnessed what's happened to other black pals, you know, who, who people have looked to take down sometimes uh, successfully. Um Katie, like, how do you see him, his political standing, and as he's going into this state of the city, as he has a rising left on the council here, I think, uh, that's really looking to assert their opposition. It's just very successfully done so in Albany to a, a another centrist executive, the governor, who I think is politically weaker. Uh, but but we're more than a year in. Um, Adams is clearly at the center of the discourse. He says this is going to be his uh, Aaron Judge year. Like, uh, um, Mm -hmm. how's he doing and what is he doing to insulate himself? Well, I think the fundraising helps because you need a lot of money to run again for, to run for office in general, but then to run again. And I think, you know, right now. To make other candidates go away. Exactly. So so today's what, January 24th, 2023. I mean, there's plenty of rumors of who's going to run and who might run. But of all these people I've heard, I I, I won't name names, but like, I can't see any of them beating Eric Adams. Yeah. So that is, and it's a long way to 2025, obviously. And there's a lot of stuff that can happen in between, but right now where we stand, he is positioning himself to have significant, um, significant money. I hate to use the word term war, war chest, uh, significant money in his coffers. That's the other word reporters love to use when talking about this. And look, you know, maybe even his newsletter to New Yorkers is part of that as well. You're sort of going to directly message. I mean, I would, I would guess, look, like the person who's going to pay attention to the notification that there's a newsletter the mayor is going to release, right? Which by the way, was released to the press. They're probably already following the news. It's not like he's going to capture any people who are not tapped in at all and suddenly message to them um, what he wants. But yeah, I don't, you know, and I think what he does this year, we'll, we'll see here in State of the City on Thursday, what happens and and he'll lay out a little bit of his um, second year priorities. But yeah, he, he's really placing himself well with all this money raised. And I think too, even on the left, obviously, um, a lot of elected officials and, and people running won't take money from real estate people and all the, the, the pledge of people they won't take money from. I think most average New Yorkers, whatever, this is stereotyping because there's no such thing as an average New Yorker because we're all so different, but they don't see the nuance of that, right? And I don't, I think Mayor Adams has embraced the business community. He's embraced the real estate community. He's embraced the nightlife people. He's embraced all these facets of New York City. And I think most regular New Yorkers don't really mind it. You know, I know there's plenty of jokes and memes about the party mayor and he was at the Drake show this past weekend, which there was some controversy over police filming people leaving. Um, But yeah, I, I don't think, I think his persona as nightlife mayor has not become an issue yet for the average New Yorker. Um, who knows if, when that will change. Can I just say this though, Harry, uh, Katie? Yes, please. Do. I think there are a lot of issues that the press cares about that voters don't. 
especially yeah, Adams yeah, voters. Course. I think you're totally right. Like the stories of the mayor hanging out, especially with unsavory characters or characters who have definitely committed crimes and, and served their time, point of clarification. But I think a lot of people who voted for Adams don't care. And it's it sort of further proves his point where it's like, you guys are picking on him. Let the man do his job. Yeah. So we do have a lot of time before a primary season. Um, but if New Yorkers feel like, you know, crime is relatively either stable or, you know, their their lives feel a little bit better mm-hmm. and they feel like, you know, people are being nitpicky. I don't see. And he's also an incumbent and we have to recognize incumbency advantage. And, you know, donations will start coming in closer to the time where, you know, it's like the man's in power. So, like, let's just let's be on the good foot in a way that we weren't in 2021. I think right now he's he's in a good position. Yeah. Uh, You know, one other thing Eric Adams voters don't care about, I'm pretty confident, is Eric Adams newsletter. I think the press corps is like Mm -hmm. the only people who care about that. Um, So one other interesting advantage Adams may have is it looks like the council this week is going to pass a bill that would basically require independent expenditures that are pushing on an issue as opposed to on behalf of a particular candidate which is often, of course, a difference without a distinction, um, that they're going to have to disclose who gives them money. That wasn't the case in this last uh, cycle, and uh, there there were some significant buys that that maybe had some effect on that. Um, And that also means if everyone is inside this campaign finance system and Adams will will max, max out early there, you know, and like, good luck everyone else who wants to join, that there's less fear of like massive outside money pouring in and trying to impact that race. Um, before we're out of time, though, Kathy Hochul, uh, we got new polling showing uh, people like her. Maybe this is just that she's not, you know, in an election right now and she's the, the Democratic power that be, um, you know, LaSalle, as we mentioned in the opening just got uh, really summarily rejected by this committee. It's not clear there even will be a floor vote. Uh, Adams has asked her to help with housing some of the asylum seekers who've arrived here. Hochul is yet to commit to doing that. I'm just trying to wrap my head if either of you have thoughts on why this newly elected governor with her own mandate seems to be so weak at the moment and if that dynamic is likely to carry through this budget season it's hard for me to see it shifting especially after she just gave all the lawmakers giant raises they're now the best paid lawmakers in america without seeming to extract any sort of concession because obviously that that's another point of real leverage or or was uh until she just uh okay yeah i think you know i i I want to hear katie's thoughts but really quickly i just feel like Sometimes when you take an L, you just need to take an L and go sit down. Don't double down. This is like the equivalent of going to a second location with a crazy person. Katie, o- Kathy, o- not Katie Hochul. Kathy Hochul, <laughs> you lost. You didn't count the votes. Andrew Stewart Cousins outmaneuvered you. The Senate told you they were going to be a no. They proved they were no. You thought you could circumvent and get the votes in in you know with the Republicans. You couldn't. So take the loss. Figure out who another strong candidate could be Latino or otherwise, and then move on. But now you want to try and sue the people that you need to work with. Like sometimes you just need to take the L and she is showing more and more that she's not that good at politics. So you barely got elected. 
in a blue state. Give it three more weeks, Lee Zeldin would have been governor, I think. So this is your first big move. You misstepped. You miscounted. You misspoke. So move on. Move on. And focus on how you can try and get a win. But all like trying to sue the Senate is only going to highlight the fact that you're not as good at politics as they are. You were, again, as I always mention, you were opening a Quiznos a week before you became governor. So I think you need to recognize that the people in the Senate are not playing with you. And yes, there's the court of public opinion. Yes, there's some ways that, you know, the um, Judge LaSalle was unfairly portrayed. That's neither here nor there. The Judiciary Committee did their homework, did their research. They asked him five hours of questions and they decided that he was not going to be best for the citizens of New York. Pack your bags, pick somebody else and move on. Chrissy, I, I am gonna, I am gonna owe you. Uh, I was gonna say a meal, but I'm almost sure it's dinner, which, which is like. And what's the, the name of that restaurant again? Do we have a place for the bed? Yes, we're going to the place where the woman from the New Yorker did the review. The place where Eric Adams ate 14 times in August. Oh yeah, La, La Asteria. Yeah, I bet you're going. The only, yeah, yeah. All right. So, so while we're there, we're gonna figure out our new sub show about uh, New York TV. Because because we really yeah. do need to make that happen. I've got lots of thoughts. I mean, and yeah, on theater, on TV, um, it's a lot. Oh my god, Asteria! I want to try this god awful Branzino that was played out like a bear on the couch or on the floor. A prosciutto crostini doesn't seem bad. Wait a minute! All if these it's... things look like they could be good if they were done well. Meatballs. Um. How do you Lots know that Bronzino is god awful? I mean, it's just a Bronzino. How can no. you tell? So in the review, the the woman who wrote the review in the New Yorker, she said the Bronzino came skin side down, splayed out as though it was a bear on a carpet. Like she'd never seen a fish like filleted open with like <laughs> the way they'd cut it. Um, and then she said like they offered her chocolate cake first when she like sat down because it was like someone else's dessert that they didn't know should have been someone else's. And she was like, I should have eaten the chocolate cake because that was that clearly looked like the best thing that I had all night. So it was like, the veggies were terrible. She just went down the list of like, just how terrible the food was. Like, why is this man spending so much money and so much time at a restaurant where like the food isn't good? He's also a pescatarian, just say so. F-A-Q. This has been FAQ NYC. We're part of The City, a nonprofit, nonpartisan newsroom dedicated to hard-hitting reporting that serves the people of New York. Our work is freely available to everyone at thecity.nyc and is supported by listeners and readers like you. Go to thecity.nyc slash give if you'd like to pitch in. We're headquartered at NYU's McSilver Institute for Poverty Policy and Research, and we're a proud member of the Brickhouse Cooperative of Independent Journalists, Critics, and Artists. Find it all at popula.com. Our hosts this episode were me, Christina Greer, Katie Honan, and Harry Siegel, who's also our executive producer. Our engineer is Adam Kamara. Thank you so much for listening and joining us and making it this far. Be well, be kind, be cool, and we'll be back soon with more. You were probably too old for it, but I was obsessed. You both were probably too old for it. Or Adam, too. The show <laughs> Ghostwriter. I don't mean that rudely, but like... now. <laughs> You fucking dinosaurs. No, <laughs> when you were collecting I mean, social security, I was watching TV. No, there's a show Ghostwriter on PBS. And um, it was about like a bunch of kids who lived in Fort Greene. 
And um, we never found out who, basically this ghost, he's a ghost yeah. and he writes to us, ghostwriter. Anyway. He, he would do it over BBSs, right? Yeah. And he would kind of like, he'd capture the letters from around and he'd message them and they'd solve mysteries. We check out clues and solve mysteries. That was from the theme song. But Cartoon I, or, or real people? Real people. So mm-hmm. I tracked down the creator of the show. And I got to publish, so he revealed who the ghost was supposed to be. And he was saying how significant it was. It was the first show that had like a multi-ethnic cast of kids, right? Because most kids shows at that point, other than Sesame Street, were just white. They lived in Fort Greed. It was urban-focused, right? They filmed all over the city. And he told me that the ghost was a runaway slave. who. So there was a character named Jamal on the show. He lived in a brownstone in Fort Greed with his grandparents. And the the history of it was like this ghost, this runaway slave was reading a book to runaway slaves and then a dog catcher killed him and the other people got free and his soul went into the book. So then, so that was, and he touched upon like he, cause he said Fort Greene was a stop in the underground railroad, which it was. So like I got to publish this in the Fort Greene blog that New York times did when I was in grad school. I, I just put like, the link at the zoom. I see yeah, you Katie Honing, a Katie J school deal. That like people were like, oh my god, I finally got to find out who the ghostwriter was. Yeah, wow, I, I can't say I've ever heard of this show. I have the DVDs if you need them. Where's Jamal? Where he's the these- kid in the he, he's I mean, the kid in the photo wearing. Yeah, I know, but like, I wonder where these three kids are. Now. Oh, Jamal be- like stopped acting and he became like a uh, and then he like joined the navy. Like that would be an interesting story. Like, where we, are these kids? We should get yeah. started. <laughs> 